got into an argument this morning with my Rice Krispies. I distinctly heard, snap, crackle, fuck him. It's time for another episode of... 252. With your hosts, Professor Pat and Frank G. I was reading the, uh, they have a Spider-Man miniseries where they brought back the married Spider-Man, you know, alternate universe style. Really? And he's got a kid over there, and now they had to, they had to team up, basically, to, to defeat this bad guy or whatever. And uh, so him and his 12-year-old daughter and Mary Jane in an exosuit beat the shit out of this dude and, and defeated him. <laughs> what? Seriously? So it's very 70s, 80s Marvel and then at the end of it, because they're doing this whole secret wars, you know, universe collapsing, merging of the Marvels thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at the end, they're they're all still alive, and it's like, well, our family continues on. So it looks like what they're doing is they're bringing, you know, regular Peter Parker from the universe where he never got Mephistoed out of his marriage or whatever, and and they're bringing him forward into the new one, and he's going to be retired old guy Spider-Man and tinker in his, you know, because he has Parker Industries laboratories and shit now. So uh, he, he's going to make all the tech and stuff for the new Spider-Man who's coming in from the Ultimate line. So there's going to be two Spider-Man, and it sounds like they're kind of going that the route, like the Batman family only with Spider-Man. So that'll be interesting. Peter Parker now is going to be like 45 instead of 25. I would have never thought about that, you know. At least for now, I'm sure they'll flash it back any. But they're also having a line of comics that is is called like Spidey or something. That is the tales of Peter Parker, Spider-Man, as if this never happened. You know, so they're just going to go all what if with everything and just let people tell stories and not worry so much about where it fits in, I guess. Because really, how many times have they restarted all of these guys? You know, Superman is on issue 44 or something like that. Well, I was reading that they're discontinuing Fantastic Four, and it seems like that's the only comic that they let run through continuously. No, but they didn't. They rebooted that in like 96, 98, 2000, a couple times. I've got, I've got at least three Fantastic Four number ones, and none of them are the one that you would hope to have. <laughs> the one you dreamed of having. Yeah. I've got, I've got a lot of... I was buying comics in maybe 2000 to 2004, and most of that stuff was just crap. You know, I should see... Some of it is probably you know, desired. Somebody wants to buy it, but it, reading it sucked. <laughs> Reading it hurts. <laughs> Collecting it was worse. Well, it was they. You know, they switched to the. You know, they're trying to be cinematic. So, for one thing, to get through a 22-page story would take about two minutes. You know, each page is filled with a huge image and a little tiny paragraph of text with maybe two sentences. Mm-hmm. So, to read the entire text of the thing was less than a page to go through the whole book. Oh, well, you're supposed to read the pictures, too. Like, well, I looked at the picture. I absorbed what the pictures are doing, but it doesn't take a minute and a half to process an image, okay? Right. So you, I could buy you know, the week's worth of comics, which was a bag of maybe 15 books. So at that point, like 60 bucks worth of crap and be done reading it in 25, 30 minutes. You go, no, this isn't going to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Yes. And then, yeah, I, I started just buying old stuff again. I'd say, well, you know what? For 60 bucks, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put 30 bucks back in my pocket. I'm going to go through this. You know, It wasn't even a quarter bin. They had a buy-the-pound box. So you go through this and just weigh the comics at the end, and it was however much, two bucks a pound or something. <laughs> well, I'm going to buy like 60 pounds of comics, which is a couple long boxes worth of shit, and I'm just going to take these and read them, and it'll take me way longer than it would have to finish the 60 bucks worth of I almost bought over here. So, <laughs> like, Well, yeah, a lot of it is bullshit. But so was the stuff that you're putting out week by week. So yeah, like I download the free. Well, it's not free, but I download the the you know the versions that people put out there to see if anything's cool once in a while. And this week I looked. I said, "Oh, Marvel. What do they have?" And I grabbed the entire thing, looked at all of them, and went, "I don't want to read any of this stuff," and deleted the whole thing. <laughs> there wasn't one book out of 25 books I cared to read it all for free. That's pretty bad. Yeah. That is, that's pretty lame. So many dumb things now. It's like, you know, Avengers and X-Men are everything, but they're not any of the Avengers or X-Men, you know, that we remember. They're all mixed together into weird movie-based combinations, pretty much. Like, that's not Hawkeye in the comics. Where's his purple fucking mask, you know? Oh, why does he look like that guy from the movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I watched uh, the, on the flight back. I watched Age of Ultron again. Okay. I don't know, man. I'm still. I still feel like it's not. You know. I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sold again. You know. Yeah, I like that one. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I just feel like there were certain things that they. I don't know. Like Joss Whedon definitely could have. Uh, I, I guess maybe my standards. I, I'm getting too old. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I think that some of the things that were weird were all things that they've done after we stopped reading for the most part. And that's what gets you once in a while, at least with me. Because that's not how it's supposed to go. But then that is how it goes. If you were a 15-year-old now, you would think that that's correct kind of a thing. Yeah. Like like when you know we suddenly Batman was wearing black and armor all the time. We were like, well, that's okay because that's how he is now. But people from earlier would be like, what the fuck is Batman doing with that black armor on? Like my dad, I'm not, that's not Batman. Batman doesn't wear body armor and you know all these things. So, yeah, okay, I get it. Because to him, Batman was the guy right around the time. He didn't like Adam West on the TV show, but that was still Batman in the books around then. They were having Batmite and fighting against the giant robotic dinosaurs and things like that. He wasn't down in the dirty parts of the city fighting the, the low-life criminals was more of that goofy shit. Right. Uh, I like the goofy shit, though. <laughs> I talk, don't like We're trying to talk about what was the first comic you, know, you ever remember reading. And the first ones, I, mean, I remember having things like Archie and stuff, so I can't be sure what was the very first. But the first that I remember was out of my dad's bag of comics was Justice League number maybe 9 or 12 or something. One of the first very early Justice League issues where they're fighting a giant and it's got like B-lister uh, Justice Leagues too. It's the Flash and Martian Manhunter and Hawkeye or not Hawkeye, Hawkman. There you go. And maybe Wonder Woman or something. And, and that was a, you know, it's a cheesy book of those uh, 1960, whatever DC heroes fighting against the Goliath. You know, it's going to be funny. And then there was uh 
a Batman where he was facing the Joker as the judge, and then there was a jury of Jokers, and this this is <laughs> seriously. Yeah, and it was just the silliest stuff, and all those were where I started, and so after that, you know, I always appreciated that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, now when they do it, nobody gets it right because they try to do it ironically. You know, like the only reason it worked is because that was the times. Right, sort of innocent early sixties. Oh my God! That, you know, I I have to say that uh, I didn't have a problem with the, the goofy Batman too much. You know, I guess like you said, it's it was just the time that we grew up in. You know, right. Well, that's why people rag on you know, they, you know, they bitch about Batman and Robin the movie. It's like, well, yeah, he tried to go back in tone to the earlier sort of a little bit campy, a little bit more humorous. But it was surrounded with the, all the stuff from the less humorous, darker Tim Burton movies. It didn't make sense in context with itself. You know, why is this Batman suddenly being a cornball when he has been Michael Keaton for a while? You know, that was not corny at all. He was he was serious. You know, so what happened? So that was what fell apart there. If they'd always been silly, people might have been okay with it. But then they'd have bitched in the first place. So. But that was really where the dark Batman started, though. I mean, as far as people know him now, there was the Dark Knight for a minute there right before. But movie Batman, that 89 thing is where he got, you know, dark. Right. Started carrying, you know, his bat gun. That, and he doesn't kill people, but you know, he didn't have all that shit before. He had a bat rope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, where'd the grappling hook come from? You know, the last time I saw that was a thing on a piece of string that unwrapped from his utility belt, and he'd throw the damn thing and swing from it. No, now it has to shoot, you know, because it sells more toys. But that's when the, the toying, the, how would you put that? The action figuring of Batman began. I remember when my cousin was six or seven in that movie, and maybe Batman Returns was out, and you could go and get... You know, Arctic Adventure Batman in his Arctic gear and you know, all these kind of things. Space Adventure Batman, <laughs> like a you know, so astronaut's helmet or diving gear Batman. All this kind of stupid shit, which I think peaked out at the end and maybe a few years ago when I saw, you know, basketball playing Spider-Man in basketball shorts and snowboarding Spider-Man in, in ski gear. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, why is Spider-Man wearing ski gear? This is just stupid right right the hell is he gonna go skiing in you know new york city come on people well, he's on the shield helicarrier that okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> well maybe green lantern like turned into a big wind tunnel on hudson river or something you know that's where they have to eventually get with all the movies is just the dc versus marvel and have everybody fight would do you think that like that would ever be a possibility if they were both like let's let's fast forward like 30 years from now when superhero movies are dumb again and uh, finally Marvel and Warner Brothers need to just look we gotta do this just just for the sake of saving both of our properties or something. I think the only way that happens is if one of those companies falls. The only one who could ever buy the other is the other. They're the only two who could do it. So if, if Disney eventually eats Warner Brothers, yeah, we'll see that. <laughs> if they don't, probably not, because that's they're always going to be their big bone. Well, it was, I guess uh, I don't know when this happened, but I guess Steven Spielberg came out and saying that superhero movies will go the way of the Western one of these days. 
Well, yeah. sure. Everything does. But who thought we were going to get as many as we got? Oh, I didn't think they'd get into Ant-Man and these, you know, Rocket Raccoon on film and all the really low down the list people. I've done a good job. Right. Well, it's supposed that, to be Cloak and Dagger pretty soon. Right, right. Um, but what, isn't that like crazy that like in 2006, Marvel's like, okay, so all of our hot commodities have been licensed to other people. And we basically have nothing but the Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy. Let's roll with it. <laughs> yeah, that is. They have to figure out how to bring some things back, but they'll get it. Yeah, and they got they got, they can do Spider Man now. They're they're getting their stuff together. Yeah. Did you hear they're doing a new version of the the Marvel Universe Handbook or whatever that was called? Again. Yeah, but this one's based on the MCU. Oh, okay. So they're doing it, like, I guess they're doing it per movie. So, like, they'll start with Iron Man, and then they're putting Iron Man 2 and the Hulk together, because that's such an awesome combination. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, I guess what they're doing is they're doing a, a compendium by movie or something. Okay. They, the last one I got was in around 2002. They put out some hardbacks that were sort of by character. This is probably the same kind of idea. Right. I know they've done it a couple times since then, though. I just haven't seen them. Oh, really? They seem to do it every four or five years now, which is cool. That's probably how frequently they need to do it to get with all the changes. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I always thought that that was like one of the that was one of the coolest comics that there was. It was cool to go back and just kind of check your version of uh, your memory of certain characters and stuff. And just, I don't know. I just, I, I guess I enjoyed the reference guide portion of it as well as the, it was like having a encyclopedia Britannica for the Marvel comics. Yeah, for sure. I used to like those too, because we were doing the, the Marvel role-playing game. So they only had so many characters statted up in the books you could buy. But if you had the Marvel handbooks that you could basically, you know, by looking at somebody else's stuff, figure out who had what and make all your characters off of that. Mm -hmm. Plus the, uh, the one P pack drawing that has like everybody <laughs> in a row was traced. You can find in that first uh, in the first trade paperback with maybe the first two issues of you know A or A or B of the deluxe Marvel handbook. Yeah, I think you can find all five of the people that were posed in the P pack picture. Oh no shit! <laughs> oh, he's Cannonball. Cool. Or no, uh, was that guy? The yeah, uh, the hell was that guy that has the Cannonball hand, the Wrecking Ball guy? Oh, good guy. Yeah, that that guy. Like, oh, it's that guy. And it's somebody else. And, oh, Ralph is that dude. I see. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, I tr traced the outlines and then drew the rest over the top. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, man. That guy. I, I couldn't draw shit. I still can't really. But with a computer, I can. But with paper, well, I'm, shit. I'm pretty impressed with, like, the TNA ad. I thought that was – or FNA. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. I thought that was pretty good. You know, I'm assuming you did all of that. Yeah. Yeah, but I didn't have to draw it, though. Right. But still, I mean, to me, I, I equate the two, right? Having a sense of design. Oh, okay. Be, you know what I mean? Just the ability to pull something like that off or the ability to draw it to me are 
you know. Yeah, I can do a lot of you know graphic design stuff and layout stuff and all kinds of cool stuff as long as I have Photoshop. <laughs> if I have to do it on paper with a T-square and some markers and pencils, fucking forget it. Which, uh, cause it, it falls apart when it has to come directly from the hand to the page. But otherwise, yeah, I'm pretty good at that stuff. Yeah. I've done no, lots, I, lots of album covers at this point. No, that's the part that I, I'm like, you know, I, so whenever I see something that like you've put out or whatever, I'm like, holy shit, you know, I could never be at that level, you know. It's just, I'm just amazed that I'm assuming the software makes it relatively easy, but just to be able to do something that looked that professional is not, not something I could fathom. Yeah, it makes it a little bit easy, but like any other software, only if you know how to use the damn thing well. So if you just pick it up as a, oh, I can use computer stuff, and you try to use it, you can do some basic stuff, and you'll be mostly lost as far as the serious things. But once you know, I've been using it since version 1.5 or something in 94. So that's 21 years of practice that makes a huge difference. <laughs> that's a, try to tell students of anything that we do. You know, How come you can mix a song in two seconds and blah, blah, blah? Well, you know, I know exactly what I'm listening to. I know exactly which knobs to reach for. And I know where they're located. I don't have to look up and down the thing every single time, stuff like that. You know, It's going to take you longer when you're learning because you don't know it yet. That's how it works. Right. People, uh, I know my kid, they, they want to know how to do it right now or forget it. Fuck it. <laughs> you know. like, it's got to work like the Matrix. Well, just enter that information into my brain so I can master it right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me... Quay, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I don't know. There was a video someone posted the other day. I should find that link for you. The uh, It was some Facebook video, but I think you could watch it without having to be on there, where they, they photoshopped their wedding photo into a you know a Star Wars thing. Oh, no and, shit. Uh, but it's a time-lapse thing of the whole Photoshop process that takes you from the one pic- the beginning picture to the final picture. And it shows everything that goes on, and you know, if you don't, uh, if you're not familiar with all the steps, watching it, it's like five minutes long. Gives you a bunch of like, oh no shit, all that and this and that, and then you, know, you see the the trickery that goes into making it work. You know, oh, okay, I get that. It's, just, it's kind of like, you know, like a well-known secret, basically. It's, but like anything else, you just have to master the steps. You know? It's like recording music. Well, once you know how to do it, it's pretty much the same thing every time. Right, right. But some people just have at it, you know, because that's the style of the day. Right. Very no. not good sounding is sort of professional today. It's very odd. <laughs> that's a quaint. That's the garage sound. Yeah, because I literally recorded it in my garage. fucking jorgensen uncle al the inventor the creator the father of what 
Many people refer to as industrial music. Well, industrial music was something else before there was L. It was actually made with a bunch of sounds that were recorded in factories, you know, actual machinery being turned into percussion as opposed to samples and digital you know, drum machines and things like that. But the industrial spirit was the same kind of thing. Buzzes, noises, non-traditional music was what people were taking and, and making that equation. So we could probably call it more the Chicago sound or the Chicago wax track sound, that sort of mid to late 80s industrial, again, techno-electronic dance music is really what it was. You know, Ministry today is hardcore speed metal, super fast, heavy guitar riffs and a bunch of loud, angry vocals. That's not where they started out. Many of you are familiar with the last 20, 30 years of ministry. Let's start a little bit before that. When he first started out, Al was playing guitar in special effect. That's spelled with an A, not an E, if you're trying to look that up. The band also featured Groovy Man from My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult on vocals. The guy from Concrete Blonde was playing drums. They only recorded one album. It's called Too Much Soft Living, and it came out in June 81. One or two small minor hits. They played the clubs, but the record didn't really go anywhere. They didn't. They, they didn't break through. When they could see that that wasn't going to go anywhere, they, everybody bailed on the project and decided to explore their own music. Groovy Man went off and started the Thrill Kill Cult. Al decided to form Ministry, but again, not the Ministry that you're familiar with today. ministry releases were filled with dance music. DJs still play every day as Halloween in the clubs today. After a series of successful dance 12 inches, they signed to Arista and released their first album with Sympathy.
this point, Al was looking very Euro, kind of like a tougher version of Boy George, complete with a faux English accent, at least 15 years before Green Day would come along and do the same thing. There were a few singles, they all did fairly well, a follow-up album was being worked on following a successful tour, and then Al decided once again to go a different way. Except now he had already built a fan base using the name Ministry. No problem, whatever the next project is, just call that Ministry too. So Al goes underground again, bunkers up in his studio, and comes out with Twitch, one of the grandfathers of modern industrial music, or some such thing. Basically, one of the fundamental albums that inspired bands like Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, Revolting Cox, Pig Face, and so on. Danceable electronic music with voice samples from old movies, lots of synthesizers, and harsh percussion. While touring behind this album, 
Al rediscovered his guitar and decided to add a new layer of buzz and crunch to the new ministry album, The Land of Rape and Honey. This was the birth of modern ministry and was the first to feature something like the sound they produce today. Still a bit lighter and more airy than today's full-on speed metal, but Stigmata, Deity, The Missing, and most of that album are familiar as ministry in a way the earlier records were not. machine was rolling. To tour behind the next album, The Mind is a Terrible Thing to Taste, they had to add Martin Atkins as a second drummer just to pull off the percussive mayhem and sample triggers, and a bunch of other musicians, extra guitar players, extra keyboard players, there were all kinds of people running around that stage. If you've ever seen the live 1990 home video, in case you didn't feel like showing up, that was from this tour. You know, huge band on a small stage, in a 10-foot cage, complete with kids climbing and diving off the fence, people setting fires and having mosh pits around them, just utter chaos every place. This is when the side projects really started taking off. In addition to Revolting Cox, which would start releasing albums just about any time Ministry was not, 
Al went off and did Palehead, Lard, Acid Horse, PTP, 1000 Homo DJs, and probably a few I'm forgetting. All of these featuring musicians from other cool bands of the time. At the same time, he was producing tracks for bands like Skinny Puppy, Jesus and Mary Chain, Guar, and all kinds of other people. Each band had a different sound, depending on who he was working with that day, but every one of them was unmistakably Al. Tune in next week for part two of our Ministry Retrospective. stuff is cool it's one of those things that like five percent of people maybe get the joke though and everybody else thinks you're being weird that's okay that's pretty much the story of our lives right (laughs) that's true that's true i mean it's not like adonis records was (laughs) meant for mass audience Yeah, that's actually should be the tag, not for mass consumption. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be it. Actually, we should do a, a record label, you know, warning weird lyrics or something like that, you know? Well, that's kind of what my record label sort of is. It's all the stuff that nobody else will put out because it's too odd, you know? Like, nobody's going to buy this. I'm like, well, I don't care. I'm not going to make any money, so I might as well put out shit that nobody's going to buy. It works perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I put all the stuff that people say, oh, I'd like to buy a copy of that until there is a copy of that, and then they don't want to buy it anymore. <laughs> Dude, I, there was exactly 12 people who said they'd buy it, and all of them said they didn't. <laughs> yeah, like my friend, he's, he has literally about 150 albums worth of music that he's put together. You know, a lot of it's all, you know, he's got probably 100 of those are instrumental albums that he's trying to sell beats to other people and whatever.
but he'll put out a new record and go, you know, it's free. Here's the link. Just click it and play it and listen to it and enjoy it, you know. And they get like four listens, you know, four or five people play it out of six, seven hundred on his list of people that he has, you know. Yeah. It's like people won't even play free music anymore because it's, I've never heard of that. I'm going to go right past that, you know. And at the same time, though, they'll pay like 14 bucks for some Beyonce MP3s, you know. Right. It's like if you're not already famous, forget it at this point. Well, it's I mean it's basically they've commoditized music, you know. Right. They're trying to sell the image now instead of the uh, the sound because all the sound is just kind of a pile of mush. Yeah. Like this week there was new uh, new Iron Maiden record, new Prince record, and a new Slayer record. Now it's like well you would expect that Prince would sound the best. And it sounds good, but like the new thing is to squish everything so hard that there's no room for any of the music to breathe, right? So, you know, when a drum fill hits and it should build up and feel really hard, it just kind of goes foot, 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 and it's kind of smushy, you know? It doesn't have any power or impact like drums should punch you in the face. We about to get it started. Turn my guitar up so I can make this woman scream. So Prince is super squished, but sounds okay. And then Slayer punches you in the face because it's Slayer. But that's just because they made everything super loud. But that's cool. You expect that from them. But then Iron Maiden sounds like somebody put like six microphones in a bar. And, and maybe hit record on a tape recorder from 1996 and Like, this is a triple LP. How did you guys put no time or effort into this? And it's like, that's not what happened. They just, their engineer is one of those kind of guys that just goes, turn it all up and walk away, you know? And that's <laughs> really not the art form that we learned how to, you know. <laughs> we, you know better than this, but that's what everybody settles for now. So, hey, fuck it. That's why they sell all the beats and all the cool headphones like that, Dave. Uh, They've managed to make it so the engineers have to do almost nothing because the headphones do all the work. Right. Well, I I always found it interesting that um, I forget where I read it, but they essentially decided that uh, when the Metallica recorded Injustice for All, they basically washed out <laughs> the, the bass completely. And part of it was to fuck with Jason Newstead, and part of it was that was their intent. Yeah, they basically, uh, you know, they they pulled his bass, you know, fader down way low. It's still there. I mean, you can, you know, if you know where to listen, you can hear it kind of. But they also, it was that Metallica sort of, the bass was tuned to sound just exactly like one of the guitars anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, so they had him playing so much. It just sounds like the low end of the guitar part a lot of times if you hear it at all. Right. But they did... Uh, they put a few of those songs in the rock band and guitar hero games and they needed a bass track. So they actually had to go back to the master tapes and pull it up 
You know, so if you get the uh, the Guitar Hero versions of those, you can hear what was actually there turned up super loud, and it sounds bizarre because like, what the hell? What's that bass track doing there? All of a sudden, doesn't fit the song at all. And then after you listen for a minute, you're like, oh, this is kind of groovy. Seems like the reason they turned him down is because he was doing too good. <laughs> you know? Well, that's what I had read is like they basically were like, look, first of all, you're not an original member. Uh, and second of all, you're way better than you should be at your age. So we're just going <laughs> to. Yeah, he's, he was grooving. And that record is kind of a, you know, like like the Megadeth record at the same time. They were kind of getting jazzy with their arrangements there with a lot of weird time signatures and things like that. And he was just keeping up and then adding in stuff here and there. You're like, oh, that's a cool note. Where did that come from? Oh, the bass part that I didn't expect, you know. I'll to like send you a link to some of those. There's three or four of them where you go, oh, okay, I see. And like, you know, if they put it out that way now, you'd you'd be like, oh, this isn't right because it sounds weird. But if you had both, it would be kind of a cool thing to have. Yeah. But they're never gonna do that. You know, they they don't want to acknowledge that in any way. still mad at him <laughs> yeah well they i mean and it uh what's his name well did you end up seeing uh did we talk about this about uh, some kind of monster maybe a little bit but not really oh have i you saw seen it? it yeah i saw yeah. it we're like uh they re they interviewed 
Jason afterwards, and they're like, how come you didn't say much? And he's like, look, I'm always going to come out looking like the asshole, you know? <laughs> I right. I don't have much to say other than we drank a lot. They fucked with people a lot. I was the outsider. What else do I need to say? Yeah, that's about it, because uh, exactly that. If he says anything else, he looks like Dave Mustaine, you know? Right. You know, he'll never bounce back from that 100%. He'll always be the guy that cried in that movie, you know? Oh, man. And that's kind of, you know, I mean, I think, again, we've all, we're have we always going to have a tendency to know a little bit more than probably the average listener. Right. But, but I always knew he had some kind of a chip on his shoulder, you know? Like, oh, sure. Being the asshole that got kicked out of Metallica, you know? Well, I say we used to hear all that stuff, you know, before anybody else even cared, again, just because of where we were. You know, that was the that was the scene locally pretty much for us, you know? Yeah, those were our local metal bands, and you know, in San Francisco, you'd go to the shitty bar and you could watch Metallica, you know, before anybody cared. Like I remember, you know, in, in sixth grade, like in Antioch and stuff, people having Metallica Kill 'Em All shirts and stuff all over the place, and then when that was brand new stuff, came out to Michigan, people were like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Licka, what's this? You know, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, those guys were like heroes too. And I remember like 88, 89, you know, anywhere in the late 80s, they were awesome. And then all of a sudden, like, they cut their hair and like, it was like Samson. I'm saying like a lot today. I have Amy syndrome. <laughs> Usually mine is, you know, I always have to edit these things out when I edit because it's like, you know, yeah, I just put like and you know together. It's even better. Uh, it's like sometimes they just get in there. It's how it goes. It's how it goes. But yeah, Metallica, like back then, they were, you know, we loved those guys. And it just, it fell so far apart. And I can listen to those short-haired songs now and go, okay, this is a good band and they could play and they wrote some good songs. It's just a different group. They should have changed their name and that would have been fine. But the Metallica playing ballads and singing about why his mom left him and shit it's like <laughs> let my heart go let your son This don't tell me about your feelings, James. Go out there and drink some booze and go, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. to do well yeah i guess for me the thing was is um i enjoyed i I enjoyed the music mostly because of the fact that they did put song structure in there and then when they started to get the woe is you know when they became like a heavier version of the cure it was like (laughs) yeah you guys kind of lost it you know yeah i say okay i see i get the dirty blues thing and that's cool but it should have been a side project you know or a different you know call it something else and then make a metallica record when you're ready to go you know because without that it's kind of missing the the main ingredient right right 
I think it was really the, the Bob Rock thing. Like they started it. It was Metallica crossed with Motley Crue and Loverboy, and that wasn't a cool deal. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, but I mean that's funny though because Bob Rock kind of bl- helped them blow up and. Oh yeah. You know. I mean the first the, the that first record he did is where they got their big push for sure. Yeah. I don't know if they would have gotten it or not without that, though, because they were, right before that, they had won the Grammy. They were pretty well-known everywhere right before that came out because that's why people were anticipating it. Like, there were midnights. I went to buy that at midnight at the record store. I think that was the first time I ever did that for anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then Guns N' Roses was, like, the next week. But oh, No shit. That was, you know, that was a good summer. That was right after we graduated. <laughs> like, right, a couple, right. couple weeks later, really. I can't even. I remember Guns N' Roses. I remember where I was when I I bought Guns N' Roses at um, Rasputin in Concord, and I bought Metallica at Sam Goody. So, wasn't it Sam Goody? What was the name of the record store at the bottom of the mall? Well, it was Musicland, but they might have changed it to Sam Goody because they were the same company anyway. Right, right. That's why I get them mixed up. But anyways, I I don't I. I find it hard that I was in both places, you know, that same summer. That's, <laughs> Must have just been traveling right there, eh? or maybe you didn't buy them at the same time. But yeah, that was actually uh, the day that I bought the gun. They had the midnight sale for Guns N' Roses. Also, the Ozzy No More Tears came out. Oh. And, and while everybody was like telling the guy, you know, CD or cassette, because there was they were just handing out boxes of Guns N' Roses. One guy's like, I need Ozzy, and I like, held up the entire line while <laughs> we went to go, you know. That's fuck you. <laughs> People are weird. They don't do anything like that now. Can you imagine? I know they do for Star Wars toys and stuff, but right. And think about that. How, you know, if we lined up somewhere to buy Star Wars toys, we'd have had people trying to beat our ass. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. You fucking nerds. Now as adults out there with their kids and stuff, and it's a family thing, and it's interesting. I, I'm not complaining about that, but it, times. <laughs> Times have changed, you know? It's not the same thing. <laughs> oh, man. The last time I stood in line for anything was for Pink Floyd tickets from the Division. Was it the Division Bell? Like 94. Yeah. Or 90, 94. Yeah, that sounds about right. And then I ended up not going to the concert. I waited like seven hours or something stupid to get the tickets and then wasn't even part of the show. That sucks. Yeah. I did that for uh, the first Lollapalooza. I went and bought the tickets and then I was like, okay, cool. It was right after we graduated too. It was in like the first week in July and uh, my grandma came out there and I was going to head back here with her and then she had the, the for some reason she had to always take trains so she had the train booked like the last week in June, so I left like the day before the show or something. Oh fuck! <laughs> oh dude. <laughs> so I took like, these four tickets, you know, and I said, "Well, here you go, guys." You know, one was for Ralph anyway, and then I said, "Well, you know, I hear I think like Chris and Tom went or something. I don't know." Oh dude. <laughs> somebody used them. But yeah, I said, "Oh man, shit!" You know, that would have been a good show. <laughs> and they said, "Oh, it was an awesome show." I said, <laughs> You're the best, man. That doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> of course, back then those those were expensive tickets, and they were like twenty eight bucks or something. You know, now it's one hundred and fifty bucks, two hundred and fifty bucks. You're looking yeah. to see Madonna, you know, 
Yay, Madonna. But I've never seen her. I'd like to see her before she dies on stage as a deflated skeleton. And uh, the tickets, like the shitty seats, start at 250 And anything where you'd actually want to sit starts at like 500 bucks. Uh, and if you want to actually be within like smelling distance, which you really probably don't want at this point, it starts at a grand, you know. <laughs> like, I don't want to smell Madonna. Leave me in the back. I'm good. <laughs> You know, the funny thing is, is I think you may still be the only person that realized that, um, you know, the log box version of like a prayer showed her nipple. <laughs> yes. Remember that? Yeah. And you were like, look at that. There's her nipple. Like, I don't think anybody ever noticed that. Yeah, I, I, I think it was, you know, it's still there in certain promo photos. But yeah, only the, the, you know, that was the only one that didn't crop it in the certain area at the time for sure. Yeah. I always wonder if that was intentional by somebody, but nobody ever made a. You think of all the things they complained about and bitched about her, that somebody would have caught that and made a big recall or made them sticker it or something else, you know? Right, right. That was one that slipped past. Plus, that the paper in that CD and cassette smelled like cheap horror. I don't know what they added to the paper that made it. It, like, <laughs> it still smells like girl from the 10th grade, dude. <laughs> That's funny. You know which girls I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would say maybe what they, you know, because they get authors these days to sign like 10,000 copies of books. So maybe they just told Madonna, look, we're going to pass each one of these books through. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would smell that pleasant, actually, probably. I don't know. <laughs> it does kind of smell like, you know, shitty perfume and, and straight Lysol. So maybe that's, you got something there. It's or, possible. Or Madonna. She was hot once. Yeah. It was it was a long time ago. <laughs> it was a short period in between the time when she was like weird looking and had hairy armpits and posed naked and the time when she was like Skeletor and posed naked. Somewhere <laughs> in between there, she looked pretty good. 83, 84. Yeah. Well, I remember um, this is one of the benefits of, you know, being, you know, Tammy's younger brother by so many years. But I remember going with her she used to buy her cassettes at sears and concord at sun valley mall at those days and i remember her going to pick up that first madonna album and listening to it the whole drive home You know, that was when I thought Madonna was cool. Those, those days are long gone. Yeah, the first two were the best two, for sure. And uh, and that's when she looked the best, too. Once she cut her hair for True Blue and decided to be Marilyn Monroe for a minute and had, like, the brush cut and the, the blonde look and the bustier and stuff, she lost me there. I still like the music, but the, the look after she dropped the wedding dress and stuff, that was the hot Madonna with the lace and the bows and all the cool stuff. Yeah. Like when we were ten and eleven, that was she was hot. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> that's what liking a girl is supposed to be like. Yeah. After that, I don't know. We had to. I said, "Well, Cindy Lauper's never been hot. Who are we going to look to next?" <laughs> she had to start finding Sports Illustrated models around '86, and that filled in the hole. Like Paulina, <laughs> yay! <laughs> 
I figured if you didn't go there, I would. Yeah. Yeah. Paulina still looks good. Yeah, there was an article about her, um, about the fact that she still, she doesn't look like she's aged. Yeah. So I guess uh, being married to the lich from the cars apparently has kept her preserved. <laughs> like that guy looked like a deflated scarecrow in 1977. Oh, man. Good singer, though. <laughs> <laughs> it was only like, wow, that guy got that girl. Wow. Well, and he's not that rich and she's got money and he must really be cool you know and she must really like that guy for real so that's very neat it wasn't the uh, kind of hollywood model type romance where they're just married because it's fun they actually enjoy being together so that's a good deal good right, for him he does that they're both into some crazy sexual shit <laughs> just well we both like to fuck the goats you know so we bring him home the goat and then we have the fun you know he liked the goat. I liked the turtle. We're okay. <laughs> we both sound like Scarlet Witch. <laughs> A bad Eastern European accent. Yeah, well, if she's an Olsen triplet. What are you going to do? You know? <laughs> right. Not really. She was born later, so she's the younger. Uh, she's a mini Olsen twin. That's see more. See, but all the talent of both of them got pushed into one of her, so maybe that's a, a big plus. Yeah. All the talent and all the looks. Yeah, I think she's better looking too. Yeah, the other two, again with the skeleton thing, but they've both deflated so far that they look like you know the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like they just looked into the light, you know. Ah! <laughs> I don't know what happened to those Olsen twins, but yeah, well, they were never really all that attractive to begin with. No, I would say the you know the the gnomes that you put on the top of your pencil and spun around were just as attractive. Yeah, they always, they're kind of weird looking babies and then weird looking as they grew up, but for a while there people were like, mmm, Olsen twins. And they're like, you know why? Because you guys are just like hot because there's two of them and they're 18 and that's the only reason because they're not really pretty and they're not really hot and they're not intelligent in any way. So, And besides that, I've been watching that person since it was a baby. I don't want to... It's like you look at playboy or something now and centerfolds are born in like 95 like what the, oh, drop it and back away whoa 95 holy shit <laughs> oh well dude did you see the um key and peel where they did like the take off of uh, uh so you think you could dance so they did the they brought out the 12 year old daughter and then they brought out the 12 year old daughter's daughter <laughs> no Oh, it's pretty funny. <laughs> but kind of the same thing. It's like when the people you're looking at could have, you know, you could have grandchildren possibly that are their same age. It's like it's not worth looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I look at some of that stuff and it's like people, oh, this person's hot. And I look and I'm like, that's a kid, right? Wasn't that a kid like five minutes ago? <laughs> like Selena Gomez. And like, Selena Gomez, isn't she like... 11th grade or something by now well, how old is that girl oh she's 20 oh okay yeah just because it's legal doesn't mean it's acceptable yeah, exactly like ah, eh, not attractive if I remember them being infants you know I'm good right That does it for another episode. 
Check out our website at RetroNerds252.com for show notes and links to all kinds of cool stuff. And check us out on Cave Radio at CaveRadioBroadcasting.com, Friday nights at midnight. Speaking of things that were influenced by ministry, I'm just going to leave this track here. See you next week.
Ah, uh, uh, Adonis, pull yourself together.